So today, we are continuing our series in the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis. I think we are in our third week here in the book of Genesis here, and we know we've done it over five weeks. Uh, We've entitled this series, In the Beginning, because it is all about the beginning, the beginning of everything that we know, the everything that we understand. It answers the questions of who we are, where did we come from, what is our purpose, the questions that every single one of us in here and every other man, woman, and child have wrestled with for all of eternity. And we all have a choice to play a choice of where we put our faith in terms of where we came from and why we're here. And we believe the only place that is worthy of our faith is in God of the Bible. And so we're looking at how the Bible talks about the creation of the universe. And so uh, we, we, we talked about in week one the hope that we find in that first verse, that in the beginning God created. That if that is true, that God created everything, that there's no problem in our life, there's no struggle that we have, that God is not bigger than, that he's not more powerful than, period. And that gives us hope in our lives that he can work in every situation. We also talked about how some people, they don't have their hope in God because they grew up believing or they believe like science and religion are opposed to each other, so religion can't be true. So we spent some time talking about how science and religion cannot even be opposed. It's not possible for them to be opposed to each other. And then last week, we talked about how we are made in the image of God, that we are made in his image, that we have a soul and we have the ability to know God and to reason and to have a will that goes beyond our life here, that goes on for all of eternity and it separates us from all of creation. And then we looked at the fallout of this world of people who do not believe that we are made in the image of God, that really uh, the history of slavery and oppression in this world, that pornography, that sexual exploitation, human trafficking, all of these things are an example of what happens when people do not believe that we are made in the image of God. It's further evidence that the only place that our faith should be is in the Lord. And then when we do that, we find that hope and that meaning and that purpose that we have been looking for. Now today, we're going to focus on kind of a big picture look at the purpose part. And to do this, we're going to go back to day six. Until I read it for you, I'll have it up on the screen. Here we go. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was the evening and the morning of the sixth day. So the first thing that I want you to notice in this passage is that nothing belongs to you. Everything that you have, 
everything. None of it belongs to you. Everything belongs to God. Everything. Do you know that this morning? Everything that you have, it belongs to the Lord. All of it. Psalm 89 says, the heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. Now, some may think, well, well, I worked hard to get what I have. And this is probably true. And it's a good thing to work hard. But who gave you the ability to work hard? Who gave you the ability to understand uh, speech and to reason and to logic? Who gave the ability to, to move your arms and your hands to do work? Did you earn them? No, they were a gift. Deuteronomy 8.17 says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me wealth. And he goes on to say that you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Nothing belongs to you. It is all a gift from the Lord. All of it. And when we realize this truth, it changes how we see everything. It gives a feeling of contentment, knowing, well, we didn't deserve anything. We didn't earn it. It was given to us. And we live in a society that is built on discontentment. All of our commercials that we see, it's always telling you how you'll be better if you get whatever they're selling. We are built on discontentment. But when you understand that everything is a gift and you are content, man, look what I got. Look at all that I have. There's a thankfulness that comes with that. Are you thankful and content this morning? Are you content with what you have? Are you thankful for it? It also causes us to look to the one who gave us everything and say, okay, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? What do you want me to do with it? You've given this all to me. I don't get to keep it. When I die, I give it all back. I take nothing with me except some cheesy suit or dress they put me in. I have to give it all back. So, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? Listen, if you are not, sir, if you consider yourself as someone who serves the Lord, but you're not regularly asking the question, God, what do you want me to do with what you have given me? There's areas of your life that you are missing out on serving him. Everything that you have been given, it's been given to bless you, but it's given for a purpose for you to use. And we must constantly seek the Lord to ask what that is. Now, today, we're going to look at some of the big picture aspects of that purpose. Genesis 1.28, let's go back there. It says, and God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, we're going to talk more about what it means to be fruitful and multiply in a couple weeks. But I want to focus on the command that he gives you. He says, I've given you all of this stuff. Now, I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to have dominion over that. And I got to tell you, as a man, that just makes me feel so more manly. To subdue the earth, to have dominion. I'm like, ah, yes, I am man, I subdue. If I had my spear up with me, with me, I'd bring it up here. I remember, if you ever saw Tool Time with uh, Tim the Two-Man Taylor, he always made that manly growling sound. Do you remember that? Some of the older people are like, yes. The younger people are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But seriously, this is an important issue for us to think about, to pause on the role of mankind on this planet. Like there's some, right now there's animal uh, rights activists out there 
that would see animals and humanity on the same level. We are equals on this planet. There is no difference in worth. Now, some people get really annoyed with these people, but when you understand where they're coming from, it, it makes sense why they believe this. If you believe that we all popped up out of nowhere, that one day nothing created some goo somewhere and somehow that goo organized itself in such a way to create everything, then there is no difference in worth. If we're all product of this random evolution, then what value do we have more than animals? But God says, no, there is a difference between humanity because we have been made in the image of God. And because of this, we have dominion over the earth. We have dominion over the earth. It means we get to subdue it. We get to use it. We, we exercise authority over creation. We exercise authority over the animals. We're not going to wake up one day to planet of the apes. It's not going to happen. We have a role to play. I mean, look at what the psalmist writes about man's role in this world. Psalms 88, he says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Okay, so why does this matter? Like, what does it matter to understand this? Why should we care? Because it is a reminder that we've been given responsibility in this world. We have been given responsibility. And we're responsible for more than just our own lives and our personal happiness, which is what we tend to focus on all the time, especially when we're young. You see, sometimes we just take the earth for what it is, right? We interact with the earth without thinking about it. You know, we may enjoy the earth. We, we may give God glory for the sun and a warm day or going to the lake, or, or we give God glory when we get to go to the beach, which feels really nice right about now. But God is saying, look, I, I gave you this earth for more than just to enjoy it. You have a responsibility with it. You have a job to do. Do you know that? That you have a job to do with creation. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to jump to chapter 2 of Genesis, where we're going to see God giving orders to Adam. And we're going to spend more time in Genesis 2 in the coming weeks. But there's, there's one thing that I want you to notice. He says this. If I can get it to change. There we go. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, the word work here, it's shamar. That's the Hebrew word for work. And it means to keep or to preserve, to guard, to watch over. So this idea of dominate and dominion and subdue, it's not like in the negative sense that we are to conquer everything. It means creation's there to provide for us. We are to use it where we need it, but we're also to care for it to watch over it, to protect it. We're called to be caretakers of what belongs to God. Most of us don't ever, ever, ever think about this. But we are called to be caretakers. We bring God glory. We testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ partly in how we treat what has been given to us. Now listen, some of you have probably already checked out of this sermon. He's talking about creation and the earth, whatever. I don't care, right? But listen, if you sit here today and if your faith is in God, then you better pay attention because this is a command of God. I don't care how relevant we think it is. When God commands something, if we say we follow God, then we follow him in every area of our life. And we pay attention to every command. 
If we're following God in some areas, but not all areas, then we're not following him. We should desire to see how we can bring God glory in every single aspect of our lives, period. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a couple specific areas that we don't often think about, and you probably may have never heard preached about in the same sermon before. And we're going to talk about how we can bring God glory in these areas. Now, the first one I want to talk about is our responsibility with the earth. This has been a big topic in recent years. People are very, very, very passionate about the environment. They're very passionate about climate change. I mean, some people won't even, they're so passionate, they won't even discuss climate change because every time they do, it turns into a heated debate. I'm gonna let you guys sink in for a moment. I thought that would go over better. Turns into a heated debate. Appreciate the pity smile, thank you. Come on, that was a good climate joke. Come on. That was so good, even the Antarctic ice shelves are cracking up. How you doing, son? Would you like to come up on stage so everybody at home can see that we're related? I thought those were good. I know Rob appreciates those. Oh, geez. I should have known you had another one. <laughs> All right. Seriously, though, in light of this command to have dominion and to subdue, how should we view this topic? Because it's big. It's big. It's, it's a political thing. People vote on this. Our media covers it a lot. I mean, every time there's a, a bad weather event, it is brought up. So how should we view it? First, we have to understand, despite what is being pushed in a lot of our media, and in our schools, climate change is not settled science. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks. Science only knows what it knows until it doesn't know that anymore. It's constantly making observations based on what it sees until it sees something new. So it's always changing. The truth is we don't know about climate change. Now, most scientists, I think, would agree that the earth is heating up. But we don't know if that's bad. Warming trends are not unusual in the history of our planet. And, 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 and hear me out this. This is a revolutionary thought. Nobody knows what the optimal climate is supposed to be. Nobody knows what the best climate for our Earth should be. Nobody. None. So climate change could be good. It could be, change, it could be bad. We have no idea. But even if it is bad, we still don't even know how much of a role that we play in the change. So am I saying that we should ignore everything that we hear regarding climate change? No, not at all. What I'm saying is that our care for the planet, according to Genesis 1 and 2 and other areas, isn't based on panic. It's based on the stewardship mandate that we see God give us, that everything belongs to God. And he created man and woman to be caretakers of his good creation, period which means we're use, able to use it to sustain our lives, but it, it means that we don't do it in such a way that it would dishonor God. We don't take advantage of his generosity. So there's like this give and take that we have with the earth. For example, uh, let's take the Industrial Revolution. Some of you were alive during this. Some of you have studied in school. 
And, and they, some will say that the Industrial Revolution was the spark of rampant climate change, because that's when industry, to, industry took off, which may be true. But in the same time that that revolution has led to some pretty important things, antibiotics, modern hospital, hospitals, uh, air conditioning, amen, refrigeration, which has saved many lives that we don't ever think about because here in America we have everything, flushing toilets and producing crops on a massive scale. Which one of these would we take away in the name of the climate? Be very hard pressed. So, how do we balance the two? In my opinion, that this guy named Bruce Ashford, who wrote this book, Letters to an American Christian, he gave us the very best answer. He says that we should actively seek to steward the earth's resources for human flourishing and do so in a way that doesn't intentionally exploit God's creation. I'm going to repeat it again. We should actively seek to steward the earth's resources for human flourishing and do so in a way that doesn't intentionally exploit God's creation. Now, eventually, science is going to give us more information about climate change, but even when it does, our mandate should not change. This is, quote, what I, that I read that I believe is based on biblical principles should be the goal. And so we, there are things that we should do. Like, I think recycling is a good idea. I come from Seattle, where we recycled literally everything. I think it's a good idea because it's a reminder not to waste what has been given to us, not to take it for granted, and using things that can be recycled, in my opinion, is a good idea, uh, except for paper straws. Those are from the pit of hell. I draw the line. You know, I, I sin in my heart every time they hand me one of those stupid, anyway, sorry, I'm going to get off track. I apologize. I hate paper straws. Oh, I just hate them. Anyway, but seriously, I hate them so much I've started carrying straws in my car. I'm going to tell you right now. You do, Marianne, you know, there's another reason I love you. See, I just always be prepared. But seriously, recycling and making reasonable decisions about our consumption is a good thing. And it can be a great teaching point. When asked, people ask why we take the measures we do in our lives, we can say, look, I believe the earth belongs to God, and I want to take, be a good steward of what he's given me. Even recycling uh, and, and being conscious about how we live our lives can tell people about Jesus, can be an open door. But at the same time, we can't go overboard. I think when we sacrifice providing for reasonably, reasonably providing for humanity, then we've gone too far. I also think that we should be improving upon creation. We should be giving creation our very best. So when we're walking around and we see pieces of trash, we should pick it up. I know that we're used to just dropping trash on the door, especially teenagers, and just dropping it wherever we are, but we pick it up. Not you guys, I'm sure. Not you, Gavin. You're looking at me like, I don't ever do that. I didn't mean you. We should pick up trash. We should put it away. We should want to care for creation. It is a testimony to God. It is an act of worship to the Lord. You know, and I think everyone in their lives should grow something at some time. Just to experience how you can see a seed in the ground, which is just, it's, you know, this is a cheesy term, but I'm going to go with it anyway. It's just magical how you can sit a little seed in the ground and it turns into something. We've grown up with that around us, so we never stop to be amazed by it. To teach our kids about how God has created things. Now, of course, not all of us have a green thumb. Some of us have the black thumb of death. 
I'm not going to mention anybody I know in case they're watching online. In that case, you can ask people to grow things for you, and then they can give it to you. Now, most of us don't have dominion over the whole earth, right? But we have little patches of land that we call yards. Some of us have bigger yards up here. Where I was in Seattle, you got a yard about this big, about that size. Well, that, even that small patch of land that we have is an opportunity to give glory to God. There's this movie out uh, called The Kingdom of Heaven. Anybody seen The Kingdom of Heaven in here? Nobody? Okay, no. All right, Nate, wow, you're a cultured individual. It's a fictional story about the Crusades. And there's this knight in it, and he inherits this really dry, uh, dried-up piece of land outside of Jerusalem. Well, he gets there, he puts all his people to work, and he's out there digging himself, and they find water. And he turns this into this little oasis out in the desert. And when someone asks him, why did you do all this? He says, this is my land. What kind of man would I be if I did not make it better? Where am I going with this is, in my opinion, no Christian should have a piece of property that looks like a dump. I mean, I went over to Christian's houses uh, back in Seattle. I remember a couple people, and it literally looked, I thought they were running a a rummage sale year-round in their yard. And I don't think any Christian should have a yard like this. Now, I don't think we should pour uh, absorbent amounts of money into our yard, you know, where we're spending so much on every water feature known to man that could be used to help those in need and stuff like that. But we should take good care of the property that God gave us because it's a blessing to our neighbors, And it's a testimony to those, yay, your yard looks nice, thank you. Just want to take good care of what God has given me. We should care for the land that we have. We should care for the property the church has. I think one of the worst testimonies is when people drive by and they see a run-down outside grounds of a church. Weeds popping up everywhere, looking like nobody's mowed. Nobody's taking care of it. And this happens time and time again. I think churches should have some of the cleanest and most pristine pieces of land around. That doesn't mean we go pour in stupid amounts of money, buying every exotic plant known to man, but it means we take good care of it. This last fall, I had a bunch of people sign up to help uh, with the land out here and to do gardening and, and landscaping. I'm excited to find out what gifts they can do so that we can take good care of our church. We can show people, like, man, we care about what God has given us. This is an act of worship in our lives that we need to be aware of. So that is how we should treat our environment, according to Scripture and then a few of my opinions. Now, another area of stewardship that we see talked about is animals. We see animals that are talked about here. How should a Christian view animals. Now, as we talked about last week, humanity is made in the image of God. Animals are not. They are there to promote human flourishing. So that means, yes, there's nothing wrong with eating meat. It's nothing for getting bacon back out on the table. There's nothing wrong with this. I want you to read here in Genesis 9, where he says, every moving thing that lives shall be good, be food for you. As I have gave you the green plants, I give you everything means every living thing is good for food, good for eating. Even though not every culture would eat every type of meat, and I won't go into any more detail about this because I'll give some of you nightmares, God said it's good. Now, does this mean that you have to eat meat? No, not at all. It doesn't mean you have to eat meat. But we shouldn't look down on anyone who eats meat. 
Now, before you men elbow your wives and say, see, pastor said we can eat steak, realize that you've also been given this body. And you are a steward of your body as well. And so when the amount of, eat, amount of meat you eat is damaging your body, well, it is time to cut back. So now, wives, you can elbow your husband back. And I'm really glad that mom, my wife, is not in here to hear that encouragement. And we will keep that to ourselves, won't we, Evan? Mm. Now, some people think this is not the way things should be. Whether you think they should be this way or not, they are. There is, a, there is a food chain. As we see in The Lion King, there's a circle of life, right? Yeah, you didn't know I could sing, did you? It's more where that came from. I tell you right now that if you go out into the wilderness and you come across a hungry predator, they are not going to sit there and have a moral dilemma of whether they should eat you or not. A giant grizzly bear is not going to sit there and think, well, should I kill them? They're made in God's image. Let me leave them alone. And if you don't believe me, I encourage you to head up to the Arctic. Go find a hungry polar bear. See if he shares your logic. There is a food chain in, in this world. And all meat is blessed for human flourishing. Now, I'm not a fan of, and this is why I have no problem with hunting. Now, I'm not a fan of hunting for sport, but I am a fan of hunting for meat. And I'm a fan of other people hunting for meat and bringing me some. I'm just going to leave that out there. Now, does this give us a free pass to human cruelty? Uh, no, of course not. This is why we have laws. You go to jail for how you treat animals. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. And the image of God says there is a creative order in this world, and it should be stewarded well. Proverbs 12.10 says this, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. So there's this balance that we must have in our lives of seeing animal, animals used for human flourishing, but at the same time, we care for these animals that God has entrusted to us. I mean, how many of us ever thought about how we treat animals as an act of worship or as a responsibility to God? Probably most of us never have. This even goes with how we view pets. We have any pet owners in the house? We have lots of pet owners. Okay, I might get uncomfortable for a moment. I don't think there's anything wrong with having pets. As I told you last week, I have a dog. I have Miss Brittany here, as cute as she is. And I have a couple of hamsters, Spunk and Spot. And I think pets can be a very good, very godly thing to have in our lives. They can teach us very godly principles, right? They can help us to get to know God. For example, if we have a cat, we learn what it's like to be God, to provide for every need of something and for have it to ignore you completely until it needs something. Right? Or it can help us teach our kids about what it means to care for other living things, to clean up after them and to provide for them. And it teaches parents patience when the kids who swore they would take care of that animal every day at every time never does it and the parent has to do it and remind their kids 547 times to do it. Can I get an amen from the parents? But I also think we can be very poor stewards of having pets. While pets can be good, we are very poor stewards sometimes. Okay? Here's one example. 
I've done marriage counseling recently, pre-marriage, pre-marriage counseling. Um, and then I, and I follow up with these couples after they were married. And there was a couple couples that I've talked to in the last six months and they are having intimacy issues. Part of the reason for that is they let their dog sleep in their beds. I think you are a poor steward of your marriage and of your pets is when you let your animals into your bed with your spouse that prevent you from paying attention to your spouse, that interrupt intimacy in your life. That is a poor steward. They do not have the same value as your spouse. And it was amazing how one of the, I haven't followed up the second couple, the one couple, the moment they got the animals out of the bed, how the intimacy between them changed. And I don't mean just physically, uh, but I mean even just being able to lay there to talk and to share. Got to get them out of the bed. I also think it's poor stewardship when we pour excessive amounts of money into our pets. Have you ever walked down the pet aisle in a grocery store or any store now? My goodness, the amount of stuff that we have for pets now. It's crazy. Now, there is a cost to providing basic love and care for an animal. But our spending our pets on our pets can become sinful. If our money, if everything we have comes from God, then how we spend our money can either be sinful or bring glory to him. I was reading about some celebrity spend just for fun. This was crazy. There's one, one lady, she spends $46,000 a year on grooming her pets. $46,000. There's one lady who spends 200000 I don't even know how this is possible, but spends $200,000 to send her pets on vacation because they deserve a break too. I'm not making this up. These are celebrities, the people that we idolize. Yeah, right here. There's one lady, she paid $5,000 for her dog. For a dog. I have a dog. I love my dog, but I would not pay $5,000 for a dog. There's one celebrity who is reported to leaving a couple million dollars to her dogs in a trust fund for when she dies. I can't even wrap my head around that. I can't wrap my hand standing before God one day and said, okay, uh, you have $2 million that came from me and you gave it to animals who do not have a soul as opposed to giving it to kids in need, people in need who are made in the image of God so they can find out about Christ. Now, we don't spend that kind of money, but there is probably a lot of money that we do spend that we shouldn't. And we do it because it's easy, and we don't think about how everything that we have, all of our money belongs to God. We just spend on things that we like, left and right. And so we, will str- we without even thinking about it, will go down and get our dogs the deluxe gold, platinum, diamond, you know, cleaning package with painted nails, you know, and bows, all of this stuff that goes way beyond. We will buy them designer toys that they won't play with, we will spend all this money that goes above and beyond basic care without giving a second thought, but then we struggle giving money to those who are in need or to missionaries who are out in the world trying to help people find Christ or to, church, or to churches who are locally helping to spread the gospel. I don't want to have that conversation with God. 
Or instead of saving the life of a dog at the pound who has nowhere to go, we'll go spend thousands of dollars on a designer puppy who's specially, been bred, specially bred with five of the top you know, breeds in the world. It's like a super dog. And then using that extra money we saved to help those who are in need. There is a steward mandate for our lives in every area, even in our pets. This is why it's, I always tell you, when you choose to follow Christ, it's not easy. Because it touches every area of your life, every area. There are some people who have massive amounts of dogs and animals that they pour so much time and money into, if they took that time and money and transferred it to humanity, they could adopt a child who has no family and no home and bring them up, someone who's made actually in the image of God. There are some people that they'll go get a pet for companionship when they at the same time could drive down to one of the senior centers in their area and actually spend time with seniors who are alone and have nobody to pour into their lives who are actually made in the image of God. Now, I'm painting in really broad strokes here, but these are the things that we need to think about in every area of our life when we're following God. There's no area that is not touched. Because in the end, we are stewards of the gospel. Everything that we do either brings glory to God or it doesn't. Everything that we do can either share the good news of the gospel and point to it or point away from it. With our pets with the way that we treat the environment, with the way that we spend our money. When you spend your money, when you budget your money, is God in mind? Does he come into the equation? Check your checkbook, it'll tell you. The way that we spend our time, the way that we use the talents that gave us, all of us, all of it either points to our commitment and our dedication to the Lord, our belief that everything comes from him, and that we take our direction from him as stewards, or it doesn't. There is no place in our lives the gospel does not touch. There's no place in our lives where we do not have an opportunity to be good stewards and to bring him glory, even in the things that we don't often think about, like creation and our animals. They can be testimonies to the gospel. 